his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. The minority leader in the New York State Senate, State Senator Rob Ort. Rob, good morning. Joe, good morning. Hey, Rob, uh, understand you just uh, got back from a trip overseas uh, meeting with some political uh, influencers. Tell us all about that. Yeah, I had the opportunity to travel to uh, Israel uh, along with uh, some other uh, state legislators, including State Senator Jake Ashby from the Capital Region, uh, who's another veteran uh, like myself. And basically they were taking elected uh, state leaders who served in the military they were taking us over to Israel to meet with uh, Israeli Defense Forces uh, officials, elected officials, uh, just to basically assess the security situation uh, in Israel, uh, as well as meet with some of the elected leaders of the Knesset uh, to just better understand uh, the, some of the domestic political situations over there as well. And as you know, and I'm sure your listeners know, New York State, a very large uh, Jewish population, and really a lot of uh, uh, connections between the state of New York uh, and the nation of Israel, and between the United States and the nation of Israel, uh, which is our only ally, true ally, uh, in the Middle East. And so it was a great opportunity for me, uh, and I took away, uh, I think, uh, uh, a, a better perspective of, uh, of, of what the people of Israel and the Jewish people uh, face every single day uh, over there in the Middle East. And, you know, talking about um, relations with the U.S. And, Isra- and Israel, how do those in Israel view their relationship with the United States in 2023? You know, I think that the, 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 the big issue that I heard time and again was the fact that uh, the Prime Minister uh, Netanyahu has not been invited to the White House. That is a first uh, that has not happened, uh, certainly in recent memory. And I think it's seen as, um, it's seen as problematic to the nation of Israel because that is viewed by Israel's enemies, people, uh, countries like Iran, um, you know, countries like Egypt, uh, as well as uh, terrorist organizations like Hamas uh, and Hezbollah, that is views that is viewed as that there is a there is a, a a break in relationship between the United States and Israel, and that kind of thing can be exploited, uh, and so it that I think that is viewed as an issue, um, and that's why I think there's there's an even greater effort by organizations who uh, want to see a strong relationship between Israel and the United States to sort of up their efforts with congressional leaders, with state leaders like myself, to really ensure that that relationship continues into this new century, uh, which is, you know, is shaping up to be even maybe more dangerous uh, than the 20th century. Uh, But certainly a weakening of U.S. power, the withdrawal from Afghanistan, uh, the fact that the prime minister has not been invited to the White House, 
uh, those kinds of things, the BDS movement, those kinds of things are seen as problematic for the people of Israel. Because without the United States, without that tight relationship, the world gets a lot more dangerous, uh, both for Israel and, I think, uh, across the globe. Uh, uh, so that, that is certainly, I think, a concern that all Americans should uh, pay attention to. And, uh, you know, it would be nice to see President Biden uh, invite uh, the Prime Minister of Israel to the White House to show that the United States and Israel uh, are still very, very strong partners. What are some of those issues that are facing Israel today? And who are some of the uh, political leaders that you met with? So the, I think the big issue outside, I mean, look, at uh, from a security standpoint, that's always the number one issue in Israel. Uh, we visited every border. We were at Gaza. We were at the West Bank. We were up in the Lebanese border as well as the Syrian border. Uh, the situation in Syria, I think, is probably maybe in, in some ways the most troubling. You have a failed state in Syria. You have uh, the Russians. You have uh, multiple terrorist organizations uh, as well as the the remnants of, I guess, a Syrian government. So that, that those are all real concerns, I think, for uh, the nation of Israel. It should be concerns for all of us. Uh, but I think on the domestic side, the judicial reform, the the, the judicial uh, uh, protests that you've seen in the nation of Israel, uh, that there is no constitution in, in the nation of Israel. So um, they don't have a constitution which they fall back on. There are certain standards that their high court uh, uh, looks at when they're reviewing different laws and different issues. Um, and the government has sought to rein in what they see as a more activist court. Um, those are obviously conversations and debates that we have over here in the United States, uh, whether it's in the state of New York or across the country. And I met with the government, lead, the minister uh, in the government, the coalition government, uh, who is leading the reforms leading the effort to reform the court. And then I met with, um, uh, his name was Simka Rothman, and then I met with a leader in the Knesset of the opposition um, who, you know, is, it, it takes a more, uh, I guess, a, a different view, which is that the, uh, the court uh, offers a check and a balance on the legislat- legislative branch and the executive branch. So not, not, not issues that we would find completely foreign here, right? Maybe from a different angle, but we, we hear Democrats talking about packing the court. We hear Democrats talking about, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, the, 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 they don't like the conservative rulings that are coming out of the Supreme Court. I actually think those rulings are in line with the Constitution. They think maybe uh, differently. So, you know, two different nations and maybe from two different angles, but obviously some of the same issues, which is the role that the court plays um, in uh, in civic life and in the future of the country and what does the country look like with whether it's an activist court or a court that's adhering more to the Constitution. Was it was it that that led to Netanyahu getting back in power? Did, did you hear anything about, you know, he, he was voted out and then a year later voted back in? Did that come up at all uh, in your conversations? The big issue, I think, around there was the issue, again, I, I go back to the security issue. You have a whole generation of Israelis that, you know, coming out of the second intifada, that was their, you know, sort of, I would say, it's like our post 9-11 generation, right? You have a lot of Americans today um, that are in their 20s. All they know is post 9-11. All they know were the conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, Over there, it's the, the second intifada. And they saw, you know, the violence that came out of that. And so for them, their attitude is, look, we, we want a leader who's going to keep Israel strong, who's going to protect us from whether it's terrorists, whether it's Iran, people who want to harm us, quite frankly, people who want to end the Jewish state. 
And I think the big debate for, for over there is the future of Israel, not just from a security standpoint, but is it a Jewish state? And I think Benjamin Netanyahu and his government have affirmatively said, we're going to protect our people. We're going to protect our country, um, and we're going to make sure that Israel remains a free Jewish state in the future. And I think that is really – that's the reason Benjamin Netanyahu remains popular. He's protecting the people of Israel, the people of the Jewish state, uh, and I think uh, that, that, is, that remains the number one issue for the people over there. And that's, that was my takeaway as to why he's been returned to power and why even amongst some of the, uh, the legal challenges that he has faced, he has remained popular and he has remained uh, the prime minister. What do you think it would take from what you, you saw to end the conflict um, for Israel? Do you think this will just always be an issue for Israel that the United States needs to help out with or to be there in support of? Or is there a way to end the conflict? You know, it, it's, it's very difficult for me at, at the current moment, Joe, to say that there's a there's a, a a silver bullet or an easy path out of this conflict. Even if you had, even if you had a solution to the Palestinian issue, you know, even if you had some sort of, uh, uh, so, you know, agreement where there was a nation of Palestine created alongside the nation of Israel, I don't know if that would in and of itself solve all of these security issues you have over there. I think as long as there are organizations and governments, namely Iran who calls for the end of Israel, the end of the Jewish state, I think you're always going to have uh, a security issue over there. Um, and I think, quite frankly, there's a lot of other Arab nations, uh, and, and you know, Iran, Saudi Arabia, um, who, in some cases, they don't want to see the end of the Palestinian issue. Uh, or, or, because it, it, it's, a, it's an issue for them that allows them to... to um, it allows them to, to obviously bring in money. It allows them to continue to sort of exert influence in that part of the world as it relates to Israel, as it relates to Palestine, as it relates to the United States. So I think, um, you know, the, 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 the larger question is, you know, how does the United States continue to navigate? Uh, how do our leaders continue to navigate what is obviously a very, very dangerous situation with one of our most staunch, most staunch allies the nation of Israel. Uh, obviously, we have other interests in there. We have other allies over there, but none of those allies are true. De- you know, are, are, are a democracy, a Republican form of government, an elected form of government, um, and and none of those allies can we trust the way we can trust the nation of Israel. And so, I think whoever's in the White House, whether it's Republican, whether it's Democrat, who's ever running Congress or the Senate, needs to remember that. Uh, and I hope that that's at the forefront of our elected leaders in Washington's mind that it's a very dangerous situation over there. And I think every elected leader should go to Israel. We have some elected leaders, Joe, that are not willing to go to Israel, mostly on the Democratic side. They don't want to go over there. Uh, I think that's a huge mistake. uh, And I think that's a cause of concern uh, for me. I think all of our leaders should go over there and really understand the security situation um, and how the United States can be helpful. Yeah, it seems like we have leaders in the White House every week. You know, anytime I turn on the TV, there's always uh, the president meeting with someone. Why do sure. you think that Netanyahu, um, that the president has not invited Netanyahu to the White House? So I think it's my 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 assumption has to be based on, of course, Donald Trump. You know, Benjamin Netanyahu uh, was uh, got along very good with Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump, of course, uh, you know, the Abraham Accords are very celebrated in the nation of Israel. I was just there. The Abraham Accords are viewed as a huge 
monumental foreign policy victory that was negotiated by the Trump administration. Uh, he moved the, uh, you know, he, he, he recognized Jerusalem as the, where the, uh, the embassy should be and not Tel Aviv, uh, which I think was symbolic, but it was an important symbolic move. So I think all of those moves were supported by uh, the Netanyahu uh, government. And I think that relationship and the fact that the Netanyahu government is seen as a center-right uh, government, that, that's the only reason I can think of why they would not have them over. Now, of course, they're going to blame it on the, the legal troubles uh, of, of, of the president. But let's be honest. I'm sure there are several leaders that the Biden administration has brought in. And by the way, Joe Biden is not without his own legal troubles, with whether it regards his family, his son, himself. And yet people meet with him all the time. So, uh, you know, to me, that's just a that's a BS uh, excuse. Uh, but it, whatever the rationale is that the Biden administration would give you, it's 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 not in the interest of Israel and it's not in the interest of the United States of America uh, especially in a post 9-11 world, uh, to not show a strong, whatever the privately we might disagree on with the uh, Israeli leaders, we have to publicly show a strong uh, relationship and a tight relationship and an alliance there and not give our enemies, our mutual enemies, any reason to think that they might, there might be an opening uh, between the United States and the nation of Israel. Last question on this. Uh, do you think that the Republican candidates for president who haven't visited Israel yet should um, on this campaign. I, I, you know, look at when you're running for president. I'm sure there's a lot of other places that you got to be, and your time is is the most uh, precious resource uh, trying to get around. I, I would, if they can go, they should go. And I think this topic. I mean, just the other day, I thought I saw Vivek Ramaswamy was on Fox News talking about uh, the relationship between Israel. Obviously, we know where the president stands on his support, President Trump, uh, on his support for Israel. So I do think that every uh, every Republican candidate should be able to speak to this, and they can certainly better speak to it uh, if they've been there, if they've met with Israeli leaders. I mean, just this week you saw, shoot, you saw Mayor Eric Adams, uh, you know, go to Israel. So I, I do think it is important to go over there. Um, and I think it's, again, if you're running for president as a Republican, I think there's an opportunity on this topic, because of 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 how Joe Biden has handled foreign affairs and the Israeli uh, situation, I think that that there's a real opportunity for a Republican presidential candidate to be able to speak to the Israeli people, to be able to speak to the Jewish people and to be able to uh, to to you know appear strong and say we're going to have a stronger relationship with a Republican presidential president than we are with the current president. Now, before uh, we let you go, uh, there's the migrant issue here in New York State. Uh, we just talked with, in Erie County, the uh, heads of the two parties. Uh, what's your take on the state's responsibility with what's going on here in western New York? So the state has, has basically allowed this. You know, the, 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 the governor and her inaction until very recently – has allowed this crisis to metastasize, to be exacerbated across the state. She has, by her lack of leadership on this issue, she has allowed this to turn into a full-blown crisis. But again, 
this is not a crisis like, you know, this isn't a, a disease that came from China. This isn't a hurricane that landed on the shores of New York or a blizzard that blew into Buffalo. This is a politically created crisis the Democrats have created between open borders policies at the federal level and sanctuary policies at the city and state level. That's why we are where we are. And so now, you know, you see people like Mayor Adams, uh, the governor, uh, trying to find their way out of this thing, people like Mark Polencars, who who finger wagged and told everyone, told people like Niagara County and Orleans County that they were morally repugnant because they didn't want to take you know migrants into their communities, and yet he did. And then he had to have the National Guard come in and have them removed. So, you know, I, I just find it a little hard to take when I see Democrats today, you know, trying to, what do we do? And, and now they're going to blame, of course, they're going to blame President Biden. And there's enough blame there uh, because he has shown completely no action on the federal border or on the crisis here in New York. But you look at, you got Chuck Schumer, you got President Biden, you got the governor, Democrat Governor Kathy Hochul of the fifth largest state, and she is not able to marshal that that leverage with the U.S. Senate Majority Leader or the U.S. President to get some kind of action on this crisis here in New York. That is a total failure of leadership at the at her level. Uh, it's a failure of leadership at Mark Polencars's level uh, and obviously a failure of leadership at the federal level. So, you know, I think people have if you are upset about this crisis and you're looking around thinking who is doing anything about it, you have to look at the people who are in power. And I think we need to make some changes there uh, on this issue and a lot of other ones. What happens to the migrants that are in the state now? I mean, here in Erie County, obviously, there's the pause. But, you know, I mean. I believe in New York City, they're still coming coming in. Uh, what does the state, does the state remove the migrants? What, what's the state's responsibility, in your opinion? So I think the state has certainly has, has a responsibility to, there's two, you know, I don't want to get like overly legal, but there's two points, the, the right to shelter laws that are in place both in the city and at the state level uh, should be reviewed and I think should be either paused or changed. And obviously the sanctuary policies that are uh, uh, in New York City uh, that, that, that say we will not cooperate. Uh, if you can get to New York City, we will not cooperate uh, with uh, federal federal law enforcement because these folks, th- that that is a official policy in the city of New York, and it's sort of an unofficial policy in the state of New York. And so until we stem the tide, to your point, unless we can stem the flow, even as we try to, to, to address the migrants who are here, you're 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 you're, you're going to be bailing water out one hand while more water's coming in in a different hole, right? So you have to be able to stem the flow of migrants coming to the state of New York, coming to the city of New York, because obviously they're coming into the city, and then the mayor is just busting them all over uh, New York State. That that should be stopped. That should be stopped. Full stop. The governor should tell. He wants her to do an emergency order to force other communities to take migrants. What she should do is an order telling the the, the mayor. You have to stop busing these folks all over the state. And then you have to stop your sanctuary policies. And we got to get a handle on the people who are there, whether it's getting, you know, waiting for them to get vetted properly, waiting for them to get working papers. But all of that should be done. This is not this is not overly difficult. This is a political crisis created by Democratic policies, failed Democratic policies. And that's why we are where we are. Again, this is not a crisis like a storm or a, a pandemic or something that we were out of our control. This was actually created by failed Democratic policies. Again, open borders policies and sanctuary policies. And the state can do things. The governor can do things. Whether she is willing to, that's a different story. Final question, uh, getting back to Albany, I believe next month, what is on the agenda? What are you looking forward to? Well, we, ha- we have to get back and do this, uh, 
um, the the casino compact, which is is still uh, nowhere. That affects Buffalo. It affects Niagara Falls. Uh, it affects Salamanca. So Western New York uh, stands to lose a great deal uh, of money, quite frankly, uh, as well as obviously our, our partners in the Seneca Nation uh, with no deal uh, between the state and the Senecas on the horizon. Uh, this is another, you know, this is another sort of failure or, or a missed layup by the Hochul administration. Uh, she recused herself because at that time her husband was working for Delaware North. Uh, and that recusal has resulted in a, a, a agreement that should have been able to get done that didn't get done at the end of session, you know, in June. And there's hundreds of millions of dollars at stake for the state. And there's tens of millions of dollars at risk for the cities of Buffalo, Niagara Falls, and Salamanca if this doesn't get done. So this is, I think, the most, certainly in Western New York, outside of the migrant crisis, this is the probably most pressing local matter uh, that I don't, I don't hear anyone talking about. And it needs to be talked about because uh, there's real impacts in our communities here in Western New York if that does not get done. State Senator Rob Hort, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thank you, Joe. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.